I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hey everybody, how's it going? Welcome back along to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90 Min Football family. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simeon, and I'm delighted to say returning to the podcast after what feels like an absolute age is uh, the Athletics, Mike Stavry. Mike, welcome back, mate. Where you been? It's been so long, man. It's been so long. Honestly, it's like a, it's, it's like I'm seeing a long lost brother that I've not seen in years. That That's how long it's felt. A, a long lost, better looking brother, right? <laughs> no, I don't know about that. <laughs> we'll let we'll, we'll let's let's put a poll in the chat. <laughs> Actually, let's not. I can, my, my my confidence can't take that today. <laughs> <laughs> well, what what you been up to apart from collecting awards and and all the rest of it? Congratulations on all of that, by the Thanks, way. Thanks, man. Yeah, no, it's been it's been really good. Uh, just yeah, pumping out content for the athletic on the on the audio side, working on some exciting projects as well. But um, yeah, man, it's all going good. All all enjoyable. Um, and. Yeah, it means that, I mean, so just for full disclosure, I've been doing the Spurs podcast, which usually you would say, oh, Spurs, but it's been so funny. It's like this season. <laughs> I mean, if there was one season that you'd want to be covering Spurs, it would be this season because they've, at the moment, they've got no manager. They've got no directors for football. Um, their academy got relegated. <laughs> um, you know, they've had Antonio Conte went mad rant after they drew with, with Southampton. And then they decided to put his his assistant in charge, and now they're onto their third manager. And mate, it's it's just it, it's been amazing to watch it all unfold, um, and me just grin there as they're as they're you know going mad. Uh, so so yeah, man. But obviously, I've missed talking about the Arsenal with you. I think one of my favourite Spurs moments of the season was this weekend, watching them do a lap of appreciation in front of nobody. And then I realised afterwards that Daniel Levy had planned that double header that weekend, didn't he, with the WSL game, with the women were due to play at Tottenham Stadium after the Brentford game, with the hope and the idea of people staying from the men's game, having some refreshments, food and drink in the stadium, spending loads of money, lining Daniel Levy's pockets, and then being able to go back out into the stadium and, uh, and watch the game. But there was no one there for the lap of appreciation, which means there was no one there for the WSL yeah. game. And Daniel Levy was just sitting in his director's box all alone, looking around, wondering where it had all gone wrong. So that was amusing as well. Yeah. Um, but look, things have gone wrong at Arsenal as well over the last few months or so. Title challenge has, has disappeared. Manchester City were confirmed as Premier League champions just last weekend. I mean, I knew it was coming, but it still felt like a knife to the heart when it actually came. We haven't spoken for weeks, so I'm interested to know before we get onto the big news today, we'll be talking Saka, we'll talk Partey, we'll talk Nelson. Uh, we'll also bring you a message from our sponsors over at NordVPN. We've got lots to get through. We'll also take a load of your questions from the live chat as well. But I guess the first thing I want to do is, is catch up with you a little bit in terms of where your head's at. Where did it all go wrong? Did Arsenal bottle it, Mike? Yeah, see, I've I've kind of been struggling with this this bottling thing because I, I feel like it's become a huge term and like a seriously loaded term. And I think the reason why people, I think anyway, some people are sort of scared to use the term, especially Arsenal, you know, related people, is because it's been used by opposition fans to troll us, basically. 
And I think the best thing, or one of the best things, not the best thing, one of the best things about this season has been that we've been able to stick two fingers up at everyone who's been saying Arsenal are useless, uh, Arsenal have no backbone, Arsenal and are, are never going to win anything again. Uh, you know, they're not a serious team. And I think throughout the the majority of the season, we were able to just say, well, no, that's not really the case. Arsenal are a serious team. Um, they're an exciting team to watch and they're doing things the right way, I think. Um, but yeah, obviously, the lot, I think we won two of the last eight games we, we spoke earlier. I think uh, I think that's what it is. And you have to look at that run and say, you know, there's there was three relegation threatened teams in there. Um, obviously, the, the the first one was West Ham. And then Southampton, who were rock bottom, and then obviously Forest. Uh, those were teams that you know were were, were serious threat of relegation, or in in Southampton's case, uh, obviously obviously relegated. Um, so yeah, you have to look at that and say those are games that we clearly should have been winning, and and we didn't. Um, I think the pressure got to us. Uh, it was it was too early, uh, but. And so I, my, the answer to your question is, I, I think we did bottle it, but I don't think we should be worried about saying that. I think we got there to, to the end of the line. We were, you know, ahead of City and and we didn't see the job through. So you, you can't say that we didn't bottle it. How, however, I just think that doesn't take away from how incredible this season's been. I think even from last season, we were doing podcasts and saying, you, you know what, like there's a good feeling around this club. We feel like we've got our connection back w- with our club. We care about them. We we want to see them do well. There's There's no... That horrible, you know, Arteta route thing went away this season, um, which is basically what we were talking about every single time that, that we did a podcast. Me, me and you were trying to deflect all the people saying, oh, you're in Arsenal's pay, what, blah, blah, blah. So to, to, to get to a point now where we were close to, to winning the title, okay, we didn't see it all the way through to the end, uh, is, is an incredible feeling. So that's, that, that's what I'm left with at the end of the season. I'm not saying I can't believe Arsenal bottled it. I can say, yeah, maybe they did bottle it, but there's, there's loads to be positive about as well. See, I think the problem with this term, they bottled it, is that people have different definitions of what bottling it actually means. So for me, and, and, and tell me if you see it differently, to bottle something is to fail to achieve something that you expected to achieve. And I don't think at any point I was totally convinced that Arsenal had enough in their locker to go on and win the league. And therefore, to me, it isn't a bottling because I didn't expect it. And so how can you bottle something that you weren't expected to achieve in most people's eyes? I thought we could win it. Of course, I did at various points. There were moments across the season where you really felt like maybe it was written that this was going to be our year. But that's what I describe bottling as being. Something that you should achieve being failed uh, or, or you failing to achieve that thing that you should have achieved. Should Arsenal win the league sort of theoretically speaking above a side that have the resources that Man City do, the best manager in the world, the best players in the world and 115 uh, rule breaches hanging over them. I know, uh, listen, I, I, I sound like really bitter over the last few days because I keep going on about this, but I just think it is a, it yeah. is a, it is a, a shambles that a league of this size has a, a team crowned as champions with this still not having been resolved with the Premier League chief executive standing there giving them their medals whilst at the same time fighting this legal battle against them. I just, to me, it tarnishes it for Manchester City. It does. And um, and that's not me 
sort of just wanting to throw shade at them because they pipped us to the prize. It's just, it, it doesn't sit right with me. So is that what you would describe bottling as? Did you think that Arsenal should go on and win it from the position that they were in? Were you convinced that they were going to? Yeah, so I I mean, I don't think any Arsenal fan will, will, will tell you that they were confident that even even when we had that, what was an eight-point lead at, at one stage, even though Man City did have games in hand. I think it was a, around that. Look, I, I think we've had so much like trauma over the last 19 years since since we last won the title. I don't think anyone could have confidently said to you, Arsenal are going to go on and win it. But I, for, for me, the definition lies in the fact that it was... In those run of games, those those three draws, I think that's that's where it was lost, basically. Um, so, look, game at Anfield, at Liverpool, you're not expected to win that. Um, but when you're 2-0 up and you let an, an incident such as the one with, with Granite Xhaka sort of um, rile up the crowd, you know, I don't really think that was the reason that we lost. But obviously that the crowd got on their side from that moment. Um, and yeah, we threw that one away. The West Ham one was was inexplicable because I think West Ham were, were were not in good form at that stage. Everyone was talking about them getting relegated, and again to not learn from the previous week of being two 0 up, um, and then throwing that one away. Yeah, that's that that's my definition of bottling. And then to not even learn from that, and then go on and you know get get battered by Southampton in that in that first half like we did do is just. That's the definition for me. I think if you look at if, if you look at those three games in, in isolation, I think yeah, that's that's where we lost it basically. So I think so yeah. What what went wrong? What was the problem? Why did Arsenal bottle it? Why did Arsenal crumble? What were the, the reasons for you? What was you looking at and thinking this is why Arsenal uh, aren't able to pick up the results that they maybe would have picked up six months prior? Yeah, I think I think it's that that inability to to bounce back from that disappointment at Liverpool because I think a lot of people were saying if they win this game and they they win at Anfield, which has not been a happy hunting ground for us, they might go on and do it. But I think because we failed that test in such an emphatic way by you know giving up a, a, a two goal lead in in the manner that we did, I think I just think they weren't able to, to bounce back from that mentally. And with all the pressure that, that that was coming around that stage, because I think you know we had games where we where we came from behind, um, and obviously we had that game against Everton where, where we lost and, and we bounced back. But I think because you were going into the latter stages and you knew that Man City were breathing down your neck, I just think they didn't really learn from that, and um, ultimately didn't have the experience to to kind of get themselves back and say, all right, well you know we've given up a two goal lead at, at Anfield, but let's let's go again, let's smash West Ham. Let's smash Southampton and, and and get on with this. They weren't able to do that for whatever reason, but I would I, I would put it down to a, to a, a mental a mental thing. Okay, interesting. Let's um let's talk Bukayo Saka. Let's talk uh, some of the other potential transfer business that we could be seeing this summer because um we spoke earlier and and we knew that the Saka announcement was imminent. And uh, lo and behold, a couple of hours later, bang, there it was um, for everybody to see. Public knowledge, Bukayo Saka officially signing on the dotted line, which is unbelievable news for me. How significant is that to Arsenal Football Club and the project, if you like? I know that people hate that term, but how significant is it to be able to keep someone whose stock is so high, who would have no doubt been uh, sort of attracting the interest of some of the other big clubs, and uh, and who 
we will need to match his ambition moving forward as much as he needs to match ours. It's it's a big move for Arsenal, isn't it? And it's a big deal to get done. Yeah, it's huge because I think he's he's you know developed into one of the, one of the finest players in in the Premier League. Like not even just looking at his age, and and you you might say he's one of the best like players under under twenty one, but he's not. I think he's genuinely one of the best players in the league on on form. Um, so yeah, to keep him with us is huge. And I, I think like there was a situation last summer where we'd had that really disappointing end to the season. Um, you know, got got smashed by Spurs and Newcastle and lost the top four. And we would, well, I was genuinely worried that if we don't get the top four this season, that we might lose him. And you would say, you know, probably within within his rights to to say, you know, guys, I've I've given you a few good years. Uh, I love this club, but then they're, they're not quite at, at the level that I'm at on on the trajectory that he's on. So the fact that that we have matched his ambitions, um, you know. We're playing Champions League, and all of a sudden, we we found ourselves in a in a title race that no one expects us to be. And I think we're kind of on the same path. And um, what I think is important, Harry, as well, is that we we just protect him in terms of not letting him burn out. Because you know we've seen, I mean, with Saka, the thing that's, that's really impressive about him is that I think a lot of players. Um, if what happened to him at, at the Euros when he missed that decisive penalty, I think a lot of players would have crumbled. Um, but, you know, credit to him, credit to Marcus Rashford and, and Jaden Sancho as well for the way that they, they've they reacted. Um, but just just on Saka, I, I, I just think, you know, to, to bounce back from that and to take penalties as well the following season, let's, let's not forget he, he is our penalty taker and, and score them. I know he did miss one. Um, but, you know, West scored... Ham. West Ham yeah, at a time know, where mate, we could I have know. been home and dry. It hurts me. It hurts me. But you know, he did score penalties after that. I think there's one against and one against Man United, one against Liverpool. Um, so you know, he stepped up and and took the responsibility. And yeah, he's one of the best academy talents I think we've had uh, over the last twenty years. You know, Jack Wilshire, but he never really went on to to, to sort of prove things. And then you know, you've got to go back to like the likes of Tony Adams to really find them like top top class players to to come out of the academy. Um so yeah, it's imperative that that we've um that we've kept him and you know we need to sort of build the team around him but also protect him as well and not not let him not let him sort of burn out. I agree with the protection thing. I think that's massive. I, I really, really do because we're talking about the team and the the drop off that we've seen over the last couple of seasons at a really crucial stage. And you can put it down to injuries you can put it down to fatigue you can put it down to just running out of gas when it really really matters but we've also seen that on an individual level with Bakayo Saka now this is not me coming out criticizing him because I think he's been wonderful I think he's been brilliant I think he encompasses everything that Arsenal want to be and and to have this shining light of an example to be able to hold up to the world and say look he's one of ours he's come through the entire academy and got to this point where he's not only in the first team or in the picture, he is one of our talisman. I think he's massive. I think it's such a big deal. But we have to say on an individual level that he has burnt out as well. And um, I was just on a podcast with um, with Danny over at a Burkamp Wonderland. Make sure you check it out, by the way. Subscribe to it. Um, it is a, a brilliant podcast. Danny does a wonderful job over there along with the rest of the team. Uh, so do check it out. But we spoke about this and and, and I sort of said a similar point in that we need to find a way of of protecting him 
that little bit better because as Danny pointed out, you know, he, he will be the first player, I think, to have played two full seasons in the Premier League, i.e. all 38 games, if he plays against Wolves at the weekend. That's an incredible achievement. But at the same time, if you're losing his best level for a period at the end of the season, you need to find a way of managing that better. Does that mean you change his training regime slightly so that there's less training, more match playing? When you get to that business end of the season, I know that other clubs do that. I don't know exactly what Arsenal's routine is, and I'm sure there are some similarities, but we have to, as a football club as well, manage individuals in the way that works best for them as well, don't we? Not just have this blanket approach all the time. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And I saw, uh, um, it was, I think it was the Arsenal account Le Grove tweeted this, uh, this graphic, basically, um, which was saying how many changes teams had, had had made basically like changes to, to start an 11 Chelsea were up there with loads because they got about 50 players in their squad and Arsenal were and Frank Lampard were, as manager yeah, yeah exactly and Arsenal were right at the bottom they'd made the least changes to the starting 11 in the Premier League and I think we we literally played the same 11 Harry for like the first I don't know 15 20 games or at least the, the same back five in, in midfield maybe there's a, there's a few changes in the front three but it's just, it's not sustainable. It's not sustainable. And, and particularly with Saka, the amount that he gets targeted by, by players, um, you know, they, they kick him, they foul him, they, you know, try to rough him up because they can't get near him. The, the amount that that happens to him, it means that he's not always going to be operating at, at 100%. So, but because he's so vital to us and we don't really have anyone who can, who can play that role, we have to keep playing them and playing them. And it, you're right, it's just not sustainable. And I think the, the reason why Man City have had the sustained success that they've had is because they're able to swap swap and change players on, on a whim, basically, because they're, they're all of that quality. I'm not saying Arsenal are going are gonna to get to that level where they can afford, you know, having 50 million players on the bench. But I think we have to try and find a, find a place where we've got suitable backups that the, the quality isn't going to drop massively. And also that's extra important because we've got the Champions League now. It's not, you know, we're not in the Europa League. We can't afford to rest seven, eight players uh, for, for, for Thursday nights because we're, we're playing in the big leagues now. So that's, the, that's what I think. And I'm sure we'll come on to it. This summer is just so key. It is indeed. Um, look, I, I've been really pleased for most of this season because these types of comments have, have not, been popping up every single week as they did in seasons prior but they're starting to creep in again because Arsenal didn't win the Premier League which is ridiculous to me but I'll highlight some of them and, and listen I'm not digging you out but we're here to debate and discuss so let's do that you know Zaki says here we go again with the excuses of Saka burning out it's, it's not an excuse Zaki it's a fact it's a fact I mean look at let's take for example Kevin De Bruyne okay he's been in irresistible form at the back end of this season. But for large periods during the season, he wasn't in the starting lineup for Manchester City. Pep Guardiola has learned over the years that it is impossible to say to sustain that 100% level over the duration of 38 games with all the other commitments as well, without rotating, without using a squad. It's why Manchester City is so dominant because they have the squad, because they have the ability to do that without it harming their level Overall, Saka's still a young lad. He's, you know, he's someone that is still improving. He's someone that's still learning his craft and, and learning his trade. And to to suggest that, you know, saying he burnt out is an excuse is strange to me because 
I think everybody can see it. It's not an excuse. It's it's the reality of the situation with regards to Bukayo Saka. Charlie Costa goes on to say, I see Arsenal the bottle jobs off of Saka, the biggest bottle job of them all, a new contract. How have you worked that out? Are you a Tottenham supporter? Because you're using the word bottle a lot and it feels like, uh, and that's a word that needs to be used in another part of North London or, or has been used in another part of North London for basically my entire lifetime. So I understand why you, you always reach for that word. But that's a wild comment. While Arsenal continue to have mediocre bottle jobs like Saka, what the long it doesn't even make sense while arsenal continue to have mediocre bottle jobs like saka the longer they are bants i think that's just a troll harry gotta be must be uh gotta be um what else have we got um in the chat let's take a few more um questions before uh, a few more of your comments i beg your pardon before we move on danny uh from the burkamp wonderland says it's simple no 21-year-old should play back-to-back 38 league games a season. Saka has played 90 Arsenal games in two seasons. Completely agree. Um, completely agree. Uh, Chris, on the De Bruyne point, says KDB was injured as well for a while, wasn't he? He was, but he also spent some time on the bench as well. Um, and, and that was at the point where people were saying that City had lost the plot and that um, it was all opening up for Arsenal. But Pep Guardiola, I think, managed that group to perfection and got them firing at the the right times and and when it really uh, really mattered um what else have we got what else have we got um luke says given southgate will play saka for 90 minutes in the upcoming england game should we take the opportunity to send him on his holidays now and not play him against wolves there's a part of me that thinks that's okay but there's also a part of me that thinks if this is going to be the send off for the season and we're going to do the lap mm. of appreciation at the end. And hopefully we're going to end it on a high and everybody's going to be pleased and everybody's going to be happy that nobody deserves more than Bukayo Saka to get that adulation and, and to have the crowd kind of singing his name. So for me, no, I, I think if Bukayo Saka went to Gareth Southgate and said, boss, I'm burnt out, you know, I, I need this time. I, I don't think Gareth Southgate would object. I think their relationship is is probably good enough. Um, what what about you, Mike? Would you would you send someone on early holidays? I don't think that necessarily sends the right message. I was just thinking about that bloke who paid paid twenty grand for that Wolves ticket. When uh, <laughs> I remember seeing it on on Twitter because obviously it was uh, everyone was going mad to try and get tickets because they thought that that might be the day that we do the the the, the, the trophy presentation. Uh, so yeah, the poor bloke. I mean, I don't know what he's done with that. Whether he's been able to. Whether he sold it back or I don't know, or if, if it's even real, but hopefully not for his sake. But but yeah, no, I think um, it's been a it's it's been a, a really enjoyable season. But I think for a lot of Arsenal fans, it's been a a, a bit of emotional turmoil the last the last sort of few weeks. And yeah, like, as, as as I say, after that, um, what game was it that I totally lost hope? I think it was after Southampton. West Ham, I was kind of like, oh, we're on the ropes here. But it was Southampton. I think I I went a lot earlier with my with my thing. So yeah, it's been a it's been a tough time. And Mr. Positive, and, uh... you are. <laughs> <laughs> no, but because I just knew, I just knew I just knew that we weren't going to see it through. Um, we we would have had to have a huge uh, advantage over over City to to even get anywhere near in, in the last few games. And I, I just knew it wasn't going to happen. Um, but but yeah, like I I just think that it's, it's been a tough time. And one of the joys of, of football, of life, is seeing Bukayo Saka 
um, get the ball and 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 completely destroy a defender. So yeah, you you were, would really wouldn't want to take that away from someone. If you want to check out the announcement, the videos that accompanied it, the interview uh, with Bukayo Saka, head over to Arsenal.com. All of that is available uh, to you. Obviously, Arsenal don't reveal the details of the contract. They never would. They never will. Uh, David Ornstein has, has published some details that, that he believes to be correct. So he says that he signed a new contract to keep him at Arsenal until 2027, uh, which is obviously four or so years from now. Uh, the deal for the 21-year-old England international is, uh, as I say, four years, but no option to extend, worth £15 million per season. Uh, he says that there was strong interest from other clubs, but only ever wanted to stay and win honours with Arsenal. Fifteen million a season. Have we overpaid, or is that just the going right now? I'm googling fifteen million divided by fifty-two. Yeah, good shout. Uh, two hundred eighty-eight thousand four hundred sixty-one. But that will be probably pre-tax, so you'll probably only end up with about. Well, I don't know actually. It must be. It can't be on three hundred grand a week, surely. Well, uh, I saw some people saying that he's he, he's going to be the club's top earner. Um, because I can't think who would be on more than that. Gabriel mm. Jesus, maybe, maybe, yeah. But yeah, he's going to be one of the well, up there. But I think a lot. Um, I was I, I was reading that. Um, I, I can't remember who was saying it on Twitter, but something about image rights were were, were built into that, and and, and will be a, will be a portion of that. So maybe the the actual weekly wages is is lower. And if he's saying worth fifteen million per year, it's not just going to be wages weekly, is it? But but yeah, I think it's worth it. Absolutely, as as I say, obviously not. Charlie Costa doesn't think it's worth it because he's a mediocre bottle job or whatever he called him. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think it's worth it because I, I think, think Charlie Costa's hit the bottle tonight. Himself. <laughs> um... Yeah, because I think you know if someone was to buy Saka, like let's just say his his market value wouldn't be anywhere less than 150 million. So yeah, absolutely worth it. Uh, David Luma makes the point about uh, how marketable. Uh, Bukayo Saka is and, and that's what I was saying earlier on with regards to you can hold him up as the, the the example of what Arsenal Football Club is all about that adds to his commercial value marketability all of those things and I think that's actually why it was super important that Arsenal did this deal now I know they've extended contracts of Martinelli of Gabriel of Ramsdale recently as well this was the one that maybe people had slight doubts and concerns over just because of how good Bukayo Saka is and how much interest there would be but I think we've known for a few weeks as I say that this was coming but to to have it officially announced at a time where everybody needs a bit of a lift I think is is right I, I'd been saying for weeks that they were going to hold on to this until the mood was low um, and and so that despite the season sort of going out with a bit of a whimper people would go well I'm now buzzing for next season obviously the season ticket renewal uh, deadline is very soon as well so <laughs> drop all this stuff now link us with Declan Rice and all the rest of it always helps doesn't it but um yeah great news obviously uh look later on in the show we're going to talk Partey we're going to talk Reese Nelson after it's uh, emerged that the club have reportedly offered him uh, a contract extension a long-term contract extension which is uh, a move to try and keep him at Arsenal Football Club of course he could leave on a free uh, this summer and we'll be spending a fair chunk of time on you guys' questions from the live chat box so hold on to them but we're going to take a very very short pause and we'll be back 
Don't forget that this podcast is brought to you by the good people over at NordVPN. It's the virtual private network service, the best in the business. If you want to have added security when you're surfing the web, well, then sign in to NordVPN, set up your plan and get that extra layer of security, as well as a number of other benefits. The biggest one of which is being able to change your geolocation. What does that mean? Well, you can open the door uh, to the rest of the world. You can stream things. You can watch films, uh, TV series. You can sign up to subscriptions and various other things that aren't normally available in your region by effectively uh, letting your browser think that you're somewhere else. And you can select pretty much anywhere in the world via NordVPN. Uh, myself and Mike Stavrou, I'm sure, like to watch a bit of Greek TV from time to time that you can never get on any of the iPlayers because of the geoblocks here in the UK. So with our NordVPN account, we can, of course, change our location to wherever we want to be and get around that problem. It costs the price of a cup of coffee per month, which when you think about it is nothing really given the benefits you stand to gain. And if you sign up using our link, which is in the description below, Chronicles AFC at the end of nordvpn.com, uh, you will be able to get four additional months for free on the end of your plan, as well as a significant discount. So do check it out. This offer is expiring very, very soon. So if you are a user or it's something that interests you, you want to jump on this nice and quickly. If anyone's got any questions about NordVPN, do give me a shout do drop me a message because I am a user of it and I can attest to what a fantastic service it is. NordVPN.com forward slash Chronicles AFC. We thank them for their sponsorship of the podcast. Welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna part two. Don't forget to check out NordVPN. It is fantastic. And we thank them, as I say, for their support of the program. But Mike, let's talk Thomas Partey. What the hell happened to his form? at the back end of the of the season because it really did go bad didn't it yeah yeah strangely so um i think a lot of us thought early in the season um you know the the job he was doing was incredibly difficult because he was playing that single pivot role with with not much protection around him jaka had this role where he was bombing into the box and you know get scoring goals and assisting all stuff and obviously Martin Odegaard's Martin Odegaard he's a he's he's an attack attacking midfielder so he had this role where you know he almost had to be everywhere and I think maybe you know the the sort of difficulty of that and the way that he made that look so easy I think maybe when when fitness issues come into it it just makes that role basically impossible and then you know he might have lost a bit of confidence as well when 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 his form started to drop it, it could be a, a number of things and then maybe he didn't take to the um, to the challenge of Jorginho well. Maybe he thought, you know, Jorginho's come in and is he going to play ahead of me? Some players react to, to that sort of competition differently, don't they? So I think there's a there's a number of of, uh, of factors, but I, I really think Harry, it's the it's the difficulty of, of that job that that he, that he has to do in that single pivot. I think you know you have to be so athletic, um, so so good on the ball, uh, so cool under pressure that ultimately you you know you need to be technically and, and, and physically perfect for that to work and maybe one of them factors sort of dropped off which which culminated in the in the form that we saw yeah I, I I've struggled to put my finger on what's gone wrong with Thomas Partey maybe it is uh physical exhaustion exhaustion maybe it's mental exhaustion maybe he did as was rumored 
start to carry a bit of a knock and, and obviously was desperate to try and get through to the end of the season and couldn't maintain his levels. I, I guess the biggest concern for me was that aside from the physical stuff, it was, for me, it was his decision-making that had just evaded him right at the key point of the season. I go back to the West Ham game where I really sort of came away and thought, my God, he had a stinker here. And it's been very rare for me to say that about Thomas Partey. In fact, for the majority of the season, I've been banging on about how important he is and, and how key he is and that he's the one player in this side that we couldn't replace no matter what. But some of the decision-making, as I say, I mean, that that goal that we conceded at West Ham, that, that it led to the penalty, didn't it? His mistake. He receives the ball on the edge of his box or in that vicinity, and he tries to flick it over the top of the oncoming Declan Rice. Yeah. That, to me, was a wild decision to make. That was abysmal, yeah. He made a really poor decision, I want to say, against Southampton at home uh, in the game that we ended up getting a draw out of where he lost the ball again on the edge of his box, not because he was under any particular pressure, but because he made the wrong decision. And that that instance, I don't think, led directly to a goal, but I think it led to a corner that then led to a goal. Um, so there have been a few moments where I've looked at him and just, uh, you know, I, I couldn't work out what it was that he was thinking. And, and, and that, to me, showed all the things that I, I didn't associate with Thomas Partey. Panic, lack of experience. Which, which he's got experience. So he to, for him to look like a kid that had just been plonked into midfield for the first time and, and maybe a little bit naive was strange to me. But has that changed your thinking around his suitability for Arsenal moving forward? Because I know a lot of people now are saying, I wouldn't mind Thomas Partey moving on this summer. Whereas three months ago, hmm. he was such a key cog and such an important part of this team. Yeah, I think there's 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 going to be a natural evolution, Harry, um, in in the way in the way we play, basically. Because I think one of the problems was with this season is that teams found us out. I think they they knew exactly how how we were going to play and where our weaknesses were. Um, and I remember watching it early on. Um, the game against Brentford, which we drew 1-1 at, at the Emirates, that had come after, I believe, or a few weeks after the game gets Everton, in, in which we lost. I noticed a, a tactic where teams were just plonking it long to their, to their big forward. And... Um, and knocking it down and basically creating a chance. And obviously, I think I think teams basically cottoned on to 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 the way we're playing. So I think next season we're gonna have to be a little bit more free, a little bit more sort of clever about how we approach things. And I just think Thomas Party is is a kind of player that's not that adaptable tactically. I think he does a he does a decent job in the actually a very good job when he's when he's on form in that in that single pivot role, but if we start to play differently, you know, we tested it um, against Forest by uh, building up in a in a three rather than a two, which is which is what we typically do. Um, I just think we may need to may need to move on and get a player who can um, play in that number six role, but then also maybe find himself out at the at the right back position, which is why I actually think we're we're interested in uh, Moises Caicedo because when we played against Brighton and they batted us, by the way, Caicedo played at at right back. So I think that sort of flexibility is going to be really key because if we can't afford to have like City a 50 million pound player in every position, we need players that can play multiple positions and I, I don't think we have that really. At, at the moment we've got Ben White um who's probably our, our most flexible defender. We've got Takira Tomiyasu but there's been questions about his his uh 
his his fitness this season is is he going to get a big role in the in the team next season? So I think we need players who can fill multiple positions, and I think in Caicedo, Declan Rice, you know, I think he could play six or eight. I think we're gonna we're gonna lean more towards that next season, to be honest. So I'm not surprised by people saying that that were that we you know they wouldn't mind getting rid of party. What would it take financially for us to to let him go? Because I know people talk about his fitness, and if you go back to last season, let me just bring up the statistics on my screen right now. Um, one second. So if I go back to last season. He had a long layoff at the end of the campaign. He was out from the 9th of April uh, right through until the end of the season. So he missed one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine games um, at the back end of the campaign, as well as three right at the start of the season. So he missed uh, nine plus three. Well, my math is terrible. 12, um, 12 games across mm. the 38 that you play in the Premier League. This time around, that's looked a lot better because he's only missed um, through injury three. Um, he missed Fulham at home, Villa at home and Man United away with a thigh problem. But he wasn't in the squad uh, for Man City at home and he wasn't in the squad for Villa away. It doesn't specify what the issues were there. They must have been injuries, but um, transfer mark doesn't have it up on the screen. So five games. So he missed 12 last season, five this time around. It's better. Is it unrealistic to think that you, you're going to go out and get a player in that position that will be available every single week? Is is the availability thing something that people make too much of, I guess, is the question I'm, I'm trying to ask you. Well, I think prior to this season, it was... It, it was a problem because people were, were worried about his injury record. But I think maybe he's, he's proven that he can he can be available for more games. But again, I, I just think, Harry, the the thing is, if he's not up to it physically, I think that's a lot of parties game. And obviously he's, he's a bit of a confidence player as well, because as you say, those mistakes against West Ham and Southampton, they were, they were uncharacteristic. So you have to ask why that was. And I, for me, that's a, that, that's a confidence thing. I think for, for an experienced player like that, who's, you know, who did who did so well at Atletico Madrid? I think you you know you don't just you don't become a bad player overnight sort of thing. And you know obviously from from the start of the season where he was really really good, that thing does, doesn't happen if there's not if there's not a drop in confidence. Um, I think maybe a factor in this that we might be overlooking is that is Jorginho's form as well. I think he really he really did look good coming into the team at the end of the season. I think he offers something that's that's completely different. I think he's he's a bit more of a technician. He he moves the ball forward a bit better. Maybe he's a bit calmer under pressure as well. Not as good off the ball, I don't think. But but maybe if they're going to sign a sort of uh, defensive mid who's who's a bit in the in the younger profile, um, they'll use Jorginho as the sort of experienced one for them for them games where where you're going to be up against it and it's, it's a sort of cauldron atmosphere. But but they'll play the the sort of younger one for the majority of the season. So yeah, I think I think I think he's playing a role in this as well, Jorginho. And which which is surprising to me because I I really didn't rate the signing at the time, but he's you know he's been better than I expected. Mario says Partey's taken my breath away at times this season. He's a top midfielder. He's had a dip in form, but he's been under a lot of pressure without Saliba at the back. He'll be fine next season. The Saliba point is a big one, isn't it? Because Saliba would play high up, he'd squeeze up, and because of 
your faith or trust in his ability if someone dropped the ball over the top of him to recover you could squeeze up as well you always knew as a sort of defensive midfield player that he was maybe 10 15 20 yards at max behind you and that would mm-hmm. maybe impact on your decision making and i do think that Partey's form dropped off when he had to play maybe with Rob Holding behind him and he, he sort of was wary of the spaces that Holding might leave. The fact that Holding at times would push up and get it horribly wrong and at other times would not push up at all and leave this gaping hole in which our opponents could get into and expose. So I do think that's played a part as well. I think that's a really relevant point and, and one that needs to be put in the discussion. But a bit like with the Granite Xhaka situation, I'm thinking about this Thomas Partey thing and I'm thinking it's all good saying move him on and it's all good saying I'd take the money. But A, who replaces him and B, how much is that going to cost and is it anywhere near what you're going to get for Thomas Partey? Bringing in a Caicedo or bringing in a Rice should be in addition to what we have. We should be building on the foundations Mm. of success that we've had this season and, and growing not replacing so much, in my opinion. There are a couple of positions that you can upgrade in, of course, we get that. But it's about building out the squad and building out the group, especially with Champions League football to come. And as you say, we won't be able to rotate to the degree that we have in the Europa League. So two-part question here. First, First of all, what would it take for you to sell Thomas Partey financially? Hmm. And, you know, is it about refreshing... Uh, Sorry, replacing now, or is it about building on top of the bricks that we already have? Yeah, so, I mean, financially, it's it's a tough one, isn't it? Because with that injury record, I'm not sure teams are going to be paying, you know, loads. I mean, maybe, sounds optimistic, but maybe 25 to to 30 million, because I think that could maybe go towards getting a a, a Kaiseido or a Declan Rice. Um, But I think, you know, if you look at it, Harry, like with what since let's just let's take it back to when when Josh Conkey became more involved and the club were clearly became aligned and, and, and Edu took over from role and things started going on it in in the right direction. I would say they've, you know, from the players they bought then, they've got a pretty decent return on, on investment. You know, I know we missed out on top four, but last season, but now, you know, we challenged for the title. Um we didn't make it, but we've still got Champions League football for, ne- for next season. Um, the fans are united. Everything seems to be going well. Also, I'd, I'd like to add that um, KSE's other team that, or, or other teams, um, the Denver Nuggets are in the, the NBA playoff finals. Um, so that's going well for them. Obviously, the LA Rams won won, won the Super Bowl, I think, last, last season. So, you know, KSE as a whole is in a pretty good spot. And obviously, they've, they've, they've had a team that have... Uh, that have, that have come close to beating one of the best ever Premier League sides uh, to the title. So I think overall they should be looking at us thinking, actually, no, let's not only sell to buy, let's pump a bit more money knowing that we actually trust the process um, and, and what's going on at this club. And then we'll see an even bigger return on investment by maybe getting a Premier League, if not next year, in, in the next few years. So I, I think that we should be adding to the squad whether that's going to happen, I don't know. Purely because you know, let's just, let, let, let's just say if if reports to be to 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 be believed, we want Mason Mount, Caicedo, and Declan Rice. That that's a lot of money uh, spent because Caicedo, I think they wanted 
what was it, upwards of 70 million last year. Rice has been quoted at about 90. That That's already, you know, 150, 160 million on, on midfielders, plus whatever Chelsea want for Mason Mount. And then that doesn't leave us room to get a striker or get, you know, a right back or whatever other players we want. So, you know, we can't go crazy, but I think there's definitely the evidence there to suggest that we should be adding because that's where we fell short this season in depth. Had this conversation again, referencing a conversation with Danny earlier on, on the Burkamp Wonderland. Again, check it out. Uh, fantastic podcast. We were talking about some of the players that could potentially be moving on this summer. And I suggested, and I, I don't know why I use this term, it's probably a bit OTT, but I suggested that there will probably be some sacrificial lambs this summer. Players that maybe you don't necessarily want to see move on, but you also recognise have a bit of value and could help you to go out and bring in your primary targets uh, from a financial standpoint. I've repeatedly said as well that although KSE have done a brilliant job in the last few years of investing, even without Champions League football, to try and get us back to this point, at some point it's going to stop. I, I really do believe that. I'm not trying to be negative. I'm not trying to, you know, damage people's hopes or dreams or expectations. But I do think at some point as business people, they're going to go, well, we've pumped in a lot of money to get you back to this point. Now you have to bring some money into the club as well if you want us to continue uh, to maintain this level of investment. So I think there are some sacrificial lambs within that squad. I think for me, Kieran Tierney's one, uh, a player that you could potentially sell for a hefty amount of money who maybe doesn't quite fit into the, the system anymore. I think following Balogun is one whose stock is really high at the moment and probably won't be as high as this again, particularly if he comes back to Arsenal and, and is on the peripheries. He's no longer a 35, 40 million euro player. I think that Emil Smith-Rowe could be one of those guys. I think that Thomas Partey could be one of those guys. Granite Xhaka, I don't want to see him leave, but I, I don't put him into this category because the, the 15 million euros or whatever it is rumoured that we're going to get for him doesn't even make a dent as far as I'm concerned. But of those sacrificial lambs, and I know I'm putting you on the spot here, mm. is there anyone that you'd push towards the front of the queue for sacrifice, shall we say? That's tough. I, I mean, I'd, I'd, I'd add more lambs, Harry. I'd, I'd add... Uh... Yeah, go on. <laughs> I'd, add, I'd add Eddie Nketiah to that, probably. Yeah. You know, I mean, we'll, we'll be sad to see him go because of his, his sort of rapid evolution in the last year, but... If you're saying, you know, pushing for a title, in, in Ketty is probably not that guy. Reese Nelson probably would would, would add that. Um, Reese Nelson would go on maybe a get a few quid for him. Yeah, 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 yeah true. The, the, the Nelson true. one is a, is a. I would have put that in the category, but yeah, yeah. No, you're right. Um, yeah, so definitely, I'd agree with 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 Falari and Balogun, and I think we had. I'm not sure if we had this debate, but I remember around the time of uh, when when Joe Willock had that amazing loan spell at, at Newcastle. That was the best thing we did to, to to cash in because if he would have come back, he probably wouldn't have got that many games. Um, and I can't remember, would he be sent for 25 million or so, something along that line? I think it was 35. 35. Million, I mean, that's a that's a lot of money. Maybe for, I'm for dreaming. A, Let me check. No, it, I think it was about 30. Yeah, 25, 30. That's that's really good money for to get um, for, for someone who was decent, but let, let's be honest, he. He never really looked like one of the Haylenders that was that was going to go to that next level. Um, so yeah, I think we need to follow that approach. And you know, Balogun has done incredibly in 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 Ligue 1. 
And um, if we get an offer of, you know, 40, maybe 50 million, you can't turn it down. Smith Rowe, I feel a bit mixed about because I love the, I love him. Like I, I just think when he burst onto the scene, he, you know, he was one of these exciting players. Everyone was raving about him in the academy for years and years. And then we, we finally saw him. And I remember it was that Boxing Day game against uh, Chelsea where him, Martinelli and Saka played, I think. And that turned that season around. That was 2020, I believe. Um when there was sort of talk of Arsenal going to get relegated, all, all that rubbish, and they, them, <laughs> them three turned that season around for us. Um, so yeah, I've got, a, I've, I've got a soft spot for him. But if I'm being completely honest with myself, he couldn't even get into the team ahead of Fabio Vieira, who, let's be honest, has not really impressed any of us this season. So I worry about his sort of future playing time. So maybe you kind of cut your losses and say, okay, well, you know, he's going to be one of the lambs that we that, that we let go. Um, so I would say them two, and those are the ones you're probably going to get a, a, a decent amount for out of the ones that you mentioned. Laconga, someone brought him up in the chat, and it's a good point. I totally forgot about Albert Sambi Laconga there for a minute. Is he someone that you'd be looking to sell? Does he deserve one more chance back at Arsenal, or is he uh, joining the rest of the lambs in our queue for slaughter? Um, hypothetically, by the way, we're not really looking to like slaughter anyone here, <laughs> just in case somebody gets a bit carried away. Yeah, thank you for that caveat, Harry. <laughs> um, well, I don't know, I mean, purely because I, I don't think we get much money for him. Uh, but yeah, I think, yeah, I, I don't, I, I don't reckon he's going to get a game Arsenal next season, so yeah, you might as well get the 10 million or, or, or whatever you can get for him. I think so too. Um, we're going to talk about one more player uh, in terms of uh, what's happening at the moment, the fresh stories, and then uh, we're going to spend a bit of time on your questions. So start getting them in the live chat box if you haven't done so already. Pop a little cue at the start of them. I've favorited a few of them that I've seen coming in throughout the duration of the show, but I have to be honest, I haven't always been paying attention to the chat box. So if you have got one, even if you put it in before, uh, chuck it in there now. And I will uh, I'll get through as many of those along with Mike as we possibly can. If I could just ask as well, uh, if you haven't done so already, there's well over 300 of you watching us live right now, um, which is pretty good because recently we haven't really had that many um, in terms of the live views. Is that because we're doing it at a later time? Let me know if you prefer this time. Uh, just, just let me know, basically. Um, I'd love to know. Um, what uh, what you guys think about the podcast as always uh, but yeah leave a like on the video if you haven't done so already uh, there's no reason why we shouldn't have at least 150 likes on the board that only requires half of you uh, to go on and press the button and it doesn't take that much effort at all i promise you uh, also subscribe to the channel if your brand's spanking new if you're listening to us on audio as well uh, particularly on apple Podcasts, please do leave us a review because that really really does help as well um right mike let's talk reese nelson Mm-hmm. Going into this season, I was convinced that Reese Nelson had no future at Arsenal. I was convinced that Reese Nelson isn't good enough. I was convinced that his time at the club needed to come to an end. And I couldn't believe that we didn't let him go last summer. This season, his appearances have been few and far between. But when he has appeared, I think he's had a big impact. And I'm not just talking about that Bournemouth moment. I know that's the one that sticks in people's heads. But I think he's always looked lively. I think he's always looked willing to make things happen. He's always looked incredibly energetic and he's brought a real threat down that left-hand side when given the opportunity on the rare occasion. Mm. 
set to leave the club as it stands on a free transfer this summer. But reports emerged today after previous reports suggesting that Arsenal were trying to keep hold of him, that he's been offered a long-term contract. Where are you at on Reese Nelson and, and how far would you go, if at all, to, to try and keep him on? Well, I think it's fair to say the fact that they've made so many contract offers tells you that the club clearly rate him. Arteta has spoken about him in, in glowing terms, um, talking about you know his, his, his mentality, his, his hunger, um, when, you know, he could have said after all them loans that, that he's been on, you know, he could have turned around and said, you know what, I've given it a go. I'm not really getting a chance. But, you know, he's worked hard. He's been, as you say, look really sharp when, he, when he's come on. So I would I, I would look to keep him because I think, you know, we're not going to get much money for him. And he could play he, he could play some sort of role. I don't know how often he's going to play, but, you know, impact sub or or, or something like that. But I just think for him, Harry, I think for him, is he going to be satisfied with that? Like, he's at an age now where I think he needs to play first-team football regularly. Uh, I, saw, I saw an interview of him where he said he really enjoyed uh, his spell at Feyenoord. Um, so I just think that he needs to get out there and and get first-team football. But if you're asking me from an Arsenal perspective, I think he's the kind of character that, that we need around. Uh, Dave Smith says, definitely don't prefer this time. It's 5 a.m. in Australia. It's all right, mate. Bit of morning energy uh, to get you going. That is commitment. That is yeah, fair play. I take my hat off. To you. I would take my hat off to you, but I'm having a bad headache. So I won't. <laughs> um, right. Uh, let's do a, a few of the questions. Um, let's see what you guys uh, are saying in the live chat box. We'll do that after a very, very short break. Uh, but please do leave those likes. Uh, smash the subscribe button and all the rest of it. We'll be back in a sec to take your questions. Okay, let's do this then. Uh, let's go back through the starred section uh, on my uh, little favorites bit here on StreamYard. Um, let's take this one from, uh, let's start with this one from Stan. What are your thoughts on the links to Gundogan? Now, it was reported yesterday by David Ornstein also of the Athletics Parish, uh, that, of course, uh, Arsenal do have an interest in Ilkay Gundogan, who hasn't signed a new deal with Manchester City yet, but is attracting interest from a number of clubs, as well as City supposedly wanting to try and negotiate something to keep him on that little bit longer. Where are you on this? I know a lot of people feel like we've got to stop signing cast-offs from Manchester City, because if we only do that, we'll only be behind them. Um, I don't quite see it like that in the case of Ilkay Gundogan, but what's your take on this, Mike? I would love Ilkay Gundogan. I think he's a he's a really special player who kind of like when you watch him play doesn't doesn't really seem you know that impressive in terms of he's not the he's not the fastest player, he's not the most technically gifted, but I think what he what he gives you is a sort of work ethic and desire and hunger. He's he's one of the players in a in a bit like Xhaka, he'll run through brick walls for you. And maybe I'm doing him a, a disservice by saying that he, he doesn't look that spectacular. But I mean, he's a player that scored big goals. Like, did he score twice on the last day of the season last year against Aston Villa when City came back to to, to win the title in a in a really close title race? Um you know, talking about big moments, uh, big players coming up. You know, he's he's literally the, the embodiment of that. And I think 
what we need in this team now are some experienced heads to basically get us over the line. And in games like the 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 ones that I mentioned, basically the all those three draws, I think we really could have done with some more experienced players who could have you know taken the taken the game by the balls really and 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 pushed us forward and got us through some really really hairy moments um so yeah i would absolutely love him but i don't think he's going to sign for us because i think that would be that would be a big step down really going from man city who are these days basically guaranteed uh to to win the title um i don't really know why he would why he would do that especially if they win the champions league this this season i I think he would have he would have won it already maybe he he might go to like barcelona or something um but yeah from my perspective i would i would love him arsenal it'd be great this is one of those where I feel like if you want to convince him, you're going to have to really go that extra mile. And what I mean by that is you're probably going to have to give him a four-year contract, something that makes him go, yeah, this is worth my while. And at 32 years old, do you want to be giving anybody a four-year contract, particularly on the type of wages that I'd assume he's become accustomed to at Manchester City? So financially, I can understand the reservation. In terms of as a footballer, I think he's top tier and I think he's an upgrade on anything that we have in midfield. You mentioned his ability to produce in big games. He always seems to come good at the business end of the season. Very intelligent footballer, quite comfortable playing in in those advanced midfield positions. But also, if you ask him to drop that little bit deeper and plug holes, he can do that as well. Incredibly experienced. He's, He's won most things in the game, probably will have won the Champions League by the end of this campaign as well. So from a purely football perspective, I get it. The thing that kind of lessens my concern about wages, though, would be the fact that we could get Ilkay Gundogan for free. Now, we've talked earlier on this month about the idea of signing Joao Cancelo as that report has been floated around as well. And again, I think he's an excellent player. I think he's an upgrade on a lot of the players that we have he'd be able to play it right back for us he'd be able to play it left back for us and and do the inverted role better than Kieran Tierney could do it because we've seen him do it at City so I think as a player it's a no-brainer but you're talking about a player that Manchester City put a, a sort of option to buy clause in his contract for Bayern Munich of around about 60 million euros so the outlay on that would be huge although the outlay would be big on Gundogan from a contract perspective Without a transfer fee, I have to say this is something that appeals to me. If yeah. indeed it's something we could make happen. I don't think it will happen. I think Ilkay Gundogan will probably stay on at Manchester City if they uh, get the offer right or could head off to Spain. Um, I think he's going to have loads and loads and loads of options, which makes it obviously more difficult to convince him this is the place to be. But yeah. I, I certainly would try and sign him if, if the possibility is there and you can understand why Arsenal do have an interest. Um, Ross Morgan says, considering Jesus can play on the wing as he did at Man City, would you look to sign a number nine in the summer? Now, Mike, when we did a transfer show, was it, it was either last summer or last January. I can't remember when it was now. Mm. But you, before we were even linked with Jesus, you highlighted Jesus <laughs> and said, he's someone that we should go out and get. Yeah. Before it was even discussed in the wider world. And and I, again, I would take my hat off to you, but I'm having a bad hair day, so I'm not going to do any of that. But what have you made of his season? Has he fallen short in terms of goals? Was it what you expected? 
And would you look to sign a number nine or, or, or is that unfair based on sort of the impact he's had? I wouldn't sign a number nine to replace him. I'd sign a, a number nine because I think we need the extra depth and we need a bit of a different option. Um, I think Jesus, I mean, he was one of the players that blew me away. Uh, I, I remember it's it's been really hard to get tickets this season. So I've, I've, I've only been to a handful of games, but I remember talking to you about this, but the, his first home game against Leicester where he scored twice, uh, I watched him and I was just in awe basically. Like the way that he picked the ball up from deep, dribble past a few players, have a shot. He's core strength. I remember there was a moment where he, he bodied uh, Johnny Evans, like plucked the ball out of the sky, flicked over his head and, and had a chance could have got a hat trick that day, and I was so like taken aback by by how good he is, and and how long we've been waiting to have a a, a technical striker, um, but someone who who can score goals as well. I mean, I think his season was was ruined by by the World Cup and that injury, Harry. Basically, I think if that wouldn't have happened, the whole thing would have been different. But because he was always basically playing catch up, I think. The season overall won't go down as a disappointment. I think it will go down as one where maybe he would have expected slightly more return-wise into the season. But I think performance-wise, his 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 levels were were decent. But but yeah, I, I think we need a I think we need a more traditional number nine because Jesus is not going to play it every game. We have got Champions League. We're going to need to rotate as uh as as the comment noticed he. He can play on the wing as well, so maybe we can start games with a more traditional, bigger number nine and Jesus on the wing as well. So I wouldn't be signing a number nine to replace him, just to sort of add to the squad. But yeah, I love Jesus. Like my my mind hasn't changed because he had a few months where he he wasn't great. I think the whole team as a whole in those last sort of few weeks, six weeks, month or so, didn't perform. I don't think that was Jesus's fault. I think it'd be hard to sort of pin it on him personally. Yeah, and I also look at the impact he's had on the rest of the group around him as well. And I think that bit goes under the radar. I think what people do is they go, well, look at Erling Haaland, who's come in and scored, what is it, 36 league goals or something along those lines. That's the benchmark. That's the standard. And then they look at uh, somebody like Gabriel Jesus, who, if I just bring it up on my uh, screen now, has got 10 goals um, this season. You know, people go, well... It's not good enough. But the truth is that I don't think that Martinelli, Odegaard or Saka get into double figures without him. Would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think one of the things um, when we did our preseason preview, um, I said that I think he'll really benefit Gabriel Martinelli because I think they'll they'll have a great link up and Martinelli's gone on to have an incredible season, not just because of Jesus, but I think that initial link-up really helped his his confidence. And that that's what he does. He brings the best out of players around him. And uh, it just shows that this team is is not about any one man. Uh, it is about the collective. And that's what we're trying to achieve as a as a, as a a team, really. So, so yeah, agree. I think the important point you make as always well about the injury. Because we're talking about 10 goals, right? But he missed three months. Let's say he got another six, seven goals in that three months. All of a sudden, you're talking about a striker that got 16 or 17, and all of a sudden, yeah. that takes him up into another echelon, doesn't it? So I think that's a, an important point that people miss as well, for sure. Uh, let's quickly take this super chat from Inny before we uh, take a few more of your questions uh, before bidding you farewell. Inny says, uh, joining late, Harry, have you talked about Partey? Is the story legit? We have discussed it, um, so uh, feel free to rewind back 
we don't know how legit the story is. We we just know that there are links with a move away. We know that there, or, or we know that the report says that a number of Serie A clubs are looking at Thomas Partey. I wouldn't be surprised by that because I think he'd be really useful in that league, and and I can understand why teams uh, would uh, would potentially want to take him. Also, Serie A is in the position in comparison to the Premier League where clubs do tend to look around look for players that clearly have talent but maybe aren't really cutting it at their clubs. Maybe it's time for their club to move them on. And uh, the Serie A often is a place where players don't mind moving to because of its prestige in the past. But also those players, if they're no longer necessarily top of the pile at their Premier League club, it makes them attainable for a Serie A side. For example, no Serie A side is going to come in and take Erling Haaland away because they're shopping in a different bracket. And um, if a player is no longer wanted, shall we say, then uh, that opens the door to them. It's a bit like Paul Pogba going back there from Manchester United. There was an opportunity uh, and uh, and Juventus felt that they uh, needed to take it. OK, uh, let's go back to the chat box. Um, Danny says, how long can Arsenal keep Arteta? City, Real, Barca and Newcastle have the money to take him. Is this something that you're even thinking about at this point, Michael? Or is it because for me, it feels a little bit kind of premature to to worry about that, because I think until he goes on and achieves one of the big ones, I think we'll be OK. Um, you know, you, you, Pochettino is a great example here in this conversation because he did well with Tottenham, but he didn't go and win anything. And, and that meant that there wasn't a queue of clubs trying to nick him away at every given opportunity. He eventually went to PSG, but that was after he was sacked. So I'm I'm quite relaxed about the Arteta situation at the moment. Where are you? Yeah, I mean, there, there were those links with Barca a few years ago, wasn't there? Um, but at that stage, I don't think Barca would have taken him because Arsenal finished eighth two seasons in a row. Um, but yeah, there, 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 there is that connection with him. Um but no, I'm not worried, Harry, because I think he Arteta is growing with us. I think he, you know, has overseen uh, uh, a complete rebuild, and um, he started from from the bottom basically, and and, and built us up to you know title challenges. Um, so no, I don't think he's there yet um, as a manager. He's still got lots to learn, I think, and uh, I'm not really sure if any of the big clubs would sort of take a take a gap it would be a, a, still a bit of a gamble right now um because we've, he, he's not seen the project through and i just think we're still like another you know two three years away um and even if we did win the win the title this year I, I, he, he wouldn't just say okay guys i've i've won the title now i'm gone he, he seems like a extremely hungry guy i mean he's learned from probably the hungriest manager in 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 football in um in, in pep guardiola uh, and he's got that mentality of like, you know, I'm not done, and I'm I'm not going to be done until I see this through. I'll, if we won the Champions League, if we won the Premier League, probably turn around next season and go, okay, cool, Premier League's done, Champions League now. I, I get I get that sort of vibe from him. Um, and yeah, I think the the fact that he spent so long, you know, going through all of the the rubbish of the rebuild and players that he clearly didn't want, and you know, uh, having to get rid of so many. And then completely doing a cultural reset at the club. I don't think he'd do all that if he was just going to then say, "All right, I'm, I'm I'm popping off now." Yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that. But obviously, uh, with success comes interest, and um, and people, I'm sure, in the future will will look at Mikel Arteta as a viable option um, and as someone that they could potentially nab. But for the time being, I have to say, I'm I'm quite relaxed 
about his uh, individual situation. Uh, Mohammed says, do you think Arsenal will address all our weaknesses by signing five or six quality players? We know it's a crucial summer and all teams will spend and strengthen more. Will we do it? So I guess the question here is, do you think we'll bring in five or six? I think we could bring in five or six. I don't know that they're all going to be of the highest calibre. I think there are areas in which we could do with bringing in top quality players to take that next step and, and upgrade in. And there are areas in the squad I think we need to to plug. And I think that what we have to do is be a little bit creative in order to make the money that we have stretch as far as it needs to. Five or six is a possibility for me, but you're not going to get five or six world beaters. In my view, Mike, do you see it differently? Yeah. Do you have faith in the club to, to really push the boat out this summer? So my, my honest opinion is that we'll sign... And, you know, I'm not ITK. I just want to let you know. I think we'll sign Declan Rice because I think that to that situation has, and those links have been going on for so long. I think he's the replacement for, for, for Granite Xhaka. I think he will play number eight because I've, I've watched Rice and I, I think like he's, he's, he's a good defensively, but he's got so much more to his game going forward. Like he's really powerful. Um, and you know, probably needs to work on his on his shooting and, and finishing. But I think he would play that Xhaka role of this season really, really well. So I think we'll get him. My question is whether how much more we're going to spend on top of that in terms of marquee players. I can't see us going crazy. And I think there's a few areas of, as we've discussed that that need reinforcing. So we need obviously a a, a backup for Saliba because we saw what happened when when he got injured. I think we need a left back if 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 Tierney goes, but again, that's a backup. So probably not going to be a marquee player. And I think we need a, uh, another option at, at centre forward, which again, Jesus is the main centre forward. So I think that will be another backup one. So I don't think we're going to sign starting 11, loads of starting 11 players because I don't really think we need it really. I just think we need more quality in, in depth. We need another right winger as well. Uh, if, if, if Nelson goes, but he's not really backup for Saka anyway, but yeah, I think there's a lot of work to be done, but don't be. I wouldn't. I would be surprised if it's loads of big names, really, personally. Yeah, I agree with that. I think that there will be two or three big names, and then I think it will be about equipping the squad to be able to just rotate that little bit more freely, um, in comparison to what we've had to do this season. You know, the Europa League this time around. I think by the time we got to the business end, the knockout stage, we were so deep in the title race that Mikel Arteta felt that he couldn't afford to take too many risks uh, with regards to people's fitness. I know Saliba picked up an injury in that Europa League game, which kind of contradicts what I'm about to say. But generally speaking, he did rotate. He sort of half rotated. He sort of made yeah. five, six changes every time. Um, and I don't think he does that if you're not in the title race. I think that because we were, he felt like he had to prioritise one or the other. And, and, and maybe that fear of burnout sort of took over there. But we're going to have to be able to rotate way more comfortably next season in the Champions League, as Mike pointed out earlier, because anybody can beat you in that competition, you know, and, and particularly if we end up in pot three, we might end up being pushed up into pot two, depending on what happens with the Juventus situation. But if you're in pot three, the likelihood is you get a really difficult group and you can't afford to make the level of rotations that we did in the Europa League group stages. You're not going to be playing Bodo Glimt and, um, you know, those types of clubs with all due respect, Slavia, Prague, et cetera, et cetera. So you you need to be equipped to handle that. And um, and I think that's why this summer 
as great as it's been that we've got back into the Champions League, it does create a lot of challenges going into this transfer window. Uh, final one we'll take from Freddie. Thank you so much for your super chat donation, mate. Really appreciate it. He says, I saw some comparison of the number of minutes Saka has had on the pitch this season versus some of the main players of Manchester City. No wonder he's been looking tired while they look rather fresh. It was a point that we discussed a little bit earlier on um, with regards to the way they've been able to kind of manage the squad better over a period of time because of the riches that they have and the talent that they have, of course. Um, some of those foundations created, though, by uh, maybe some uh, financial wrongdoing. I just hope that that gets uh, resolved sooner rather than later, um, for sure. Um, right. I think that's about it. Um, Mike, thank you so, so much, mate. I know we've gone way over the hour uh, that we were planning to do, uh, but that's because the conversation's been great. Um, thank you to everybody that's been watching, that's been listening. Don't forget to leave a like on the video on your way out. I said I wanted to get to 150 likes. We're not even there yet. So come on, guys, let's push. Um, let's get there. It really, really does help. Subscribe if you haven't done so already. Mike, let people know uh, where they can follow you, how long, um, how long, uh, yeah, how long it's going to be until you're on here next is what <laughs> I was going to say. And um, and yeah, where the, the best place to keep in touch with you is. Yeah, hopefully very soon. Uh, definitely not as long as, as it's been since the last one. Uh, but yeah, uh, Twitter handle is there. Uh, tweet stuff about Arsenal um, mostly. And and yeah, that's that's it really. Come and, uh, come and send me your thoughts. Give me your opinions. Let's let's have a chat. Uh, and let's like I just want to end by saying let's sort of like continue the good feeling going. I know that the, the league didn't happen, but look where we were this time last season. We, you know, were playing the last game of the season against Everton. Um, and you know, there was like a one percent chance that that we might have got top four. And I remember I, I was at the game and I was what I was watching the Spurs goals go in against Norwich. It was five, and I was like, oh. <laughs> another one another one so you know compare that situation to this season we're on a we're, we're on an upward curve and and yeah let's keep it going absolutely we we've had a season that ended in disappointment in the end but it, the ride has been incredible and and i was saying this earlier on today i i can't remember any point in the last decade where i felt this connected to arsenal i've always been interested obviously i've always been going to the games and all of that but to feel as invested as I have this season has been amazing. I've really enjoyed it, albeit it's ended in a bit of heartbreak. And um, the summer is going to be an interesting one. And then we can uh, we can look ahead to another new season. And, and we're going to be starting a new season for the first time in a long time with, with high expectations, which tells you the story of this one. Um, we're going to be keeping you across, of course, all of the transfer stuff uh, over the duration of the window. So stay with us throughout the summer. Um, I'm going to have a few days off here and there because it is the summer and it's needed. Um, I'm going to be uh, heading over to the Champions League final. So I'll probably take a few days uh, out around then, um, probably bring you some shorter form content or something. I'll work that out closer to the time. But aside from that, we'll be with you all the way, keeping you across all the latest news, discussing the latest news as well. And um, yeah, thank you for all your support. We'll, we'll do a proper end of season message at the end of the season. But yeah, I agree with Mike's sentiment. You know, let's um, let's get behind the team on the last day. Let's give them the support inside the stadium that they deserve. Show them their appreciation for what they've done this season and the ride they've taken us on. I'm sure they'll respond to that as well. 
and um and uh, yeah we pick ourselves up and we go again so go to wolves have a few beers enjoy yourself hopefully the sun will be shining and uh we can sign off in the right fashion. Thanks to Mike. Thanks to every single one of you in the live chat as well. We will see you all soon. Until next time, goodbye. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.